This morning is the final sermon in this little mini-series on gold from God. We'll be talking about the Great Commission. So head to the end of Matthew 28, the end of the Gospel of Matthew, last three verses, I think. And this is what we read. And Jesus came and said to them, that is, to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we're going to look at this in three parts today. We're going to start with the first part, and, uh, which is all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The first thing I'd like you to notice this morning about that first section of the Great Commission is how there's a connection between every nation and all authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. You see, up to this point, Jesus has been primarily charged by God to go to the Jews. He says in Matthew 15, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But remember what we read in Psalm 2.8 during Advent. When God said to his son, the Messiah, I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. God bestowed upon Jesus authority over all the nations. As it turns out, Jesus wasn't sent only to the Jews. He was just sent to the Jews first. And then after his resurrection... Having been given authority over every nation, he commands his disciples to go in his name to every place on earth to claim those who have been given to him from every people. Remember last week we talked about how there's a group of people who have been given to Christ by the Father? Well, these people aren't just Jews like he was. They were Jews and people from every tribe and language and people and nation. What Jesus came to do was so great that it's not enough that the Israelites would worship him and be saved by him. It must be worldwide, international, universal. It must apply to every place and every people on earth. This is what God the Father says to the Messiah in Isaiah 49.6. It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Israel and to restore the preserved ones of, I'm sorry, raise up the tribes of Jacob, which is you know, synonymous with Israel, and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. 
So, which nation does God love? Really? Which nation is his favorite? Dear friends, every nation is the Lord's. He no longer has one nation. He has claimed them all. Christ has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Just like Israel, the United States is far too small a nation to be God's special nation. Behold, Isaiah says, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. That's chapter 40 of Isaiah. The whole world is his. Every nation is his. I love Psalm 108 verses 8 and 9 where he talks about the nations. He says, God does, Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is my helmet. Judah, my scepter. Moab is my wash basin. Upon Edom, I cast my shoe. Over Philistia, I shout in triumph. You can see the insignificance of these nations compared to the Lord and his greatness. The Great Commission is an international commission. The Lord calls us to love, to serve, to reach out to and claim his authority over every nation, every people on earth. People who are like us, people who are not like us. People who speak our language and people who speak other languages. People who are modern, people who seem backward. Jesus doesn't say, go into all the world and make disciples who look like you and do things like you. He said, go into all the world and make disciples of every people group. If we have disdain for another culture or nation, how is that consistent with the Great Commission? Sure, we could say they don't deserve it, and they don't. We could say they're wicked and violent, and they worship false gods, and they do. But are they any different than our society? Aren't we wicked and violent and don't we worship false gods just in different ways? He's not chosen who he's chosen because of who we are. He's chosen us because of his grace. Think about how audacious it is for Jesus to say this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Think about the absurdity of sending out 11 bumbling, doubting disciples to change the whole world by winning followers from every nation and people group on earth, even places way beyond what these men were even aware of that existed. It looked ridiculous, absurd. But here we are 2,000 years later, and in spite of all kinds of opposition, billions of people in the world and among the people groups on earth have heard the gospel of Christ and many have become his disciples and the process is continuing progress is still being made 
It is downright miraculous. And it's going to get even larger. There are still unreached people groups. And it all started right here with Jesus commissioning 11 not very impressive men. Such a humble beginning. But such a grand finale is coming. As Jesus himself said, the kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed that a man sowed in his garden. And it grew and become a tree. It became a tree so that the birds of the air were able to make nests in its branches. That's Luke 13. This is not just about sending out missionaries to foreign lands either. This includes us. Every nation includes our own nation. Remember that a few days later in Jerusalem, Jesus put it this way, You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So the same men, he's calling them to start where they are in the area that they live in. And so it is with us. All of us are missionaries playing a part in this grand project which Jesus assigns to his people. I know that everyone agrees with this already. But I also know that it's easy for, in our busy lives for this commission to drop off our radar. To not carry with us a burden for the salvation of our neighbors, our relatives, our work associates, our community. Remember the story of the four lepers in 2 Kings chapter 7. All the people in the city of Samaria, all the people in the city were starving. But the four lepers stumbled upon a supply of food outside the city. After they stuffed themselves, they say to each other in 2 Kings 7, 9, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news, but we are keeping silent. If we wait until morning to tell the others, God will punish us. Therefore, come, let us go tell everyone. Brothers and sisters, if we want to keep this treasure to ourselves, if we don't feel a responsibility to share it with others, if we don't look for opportunities to share it, if we don't pray for the salvation of those around us, then we also are not doing right. This is a day of good news, like it was for those four lepers, not for keeping silent. The good news of Christ is too good to keep to ourselves. He's too good a savior to just confine him to our little group. He's too good a savior to be worshipped by just us. He's worthy of far more praise than we could ever give him. Many more worshipers need to be recruited to give him glory. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing our great Redeemer's praise. But this commission also necessitates going. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And it includes sending. Going includes sending, as it says in Romans 10. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Here we see that going involves a team, a sending team. We are all involved in the going, not just the goer. But before the sending and before the going, there's one thing that must happen. It's the going of the heart. First, we must identify with them. First, we must love them. First, we must long for their salvation. Then comes the sending and the going. But it begins in the heart. We see this in John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his son. He embraced the world in his heart first. And that led to saving action. And that's the way it's supposed to happen with us. God wants us to have hearts that go out to the world as his did. Our hearts go out first and our bodies go into the world later. Or we send someone out into the mission field where we love the people. And because we love the people, we don't just send out people with our prayers and our love for them. We send them out with our prayers and our love for the people that they love, that they have come to love, and that they now go to serve. The second section of this Great Commission, in the latter part of 19 and the first part of 20, details some of the steps that are involved. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So we see there are many facets to this command. It's not about making converts, it's about making disciples, followers of Christ. And that necessitates not just a mechanical process, but a relational process. A process of dealing with people, engaging with people, getting to know people, working with people where they are. It involves teaching, but it's not teaching them our own ideas or our own wisdom or our philosophy of life. It's teaching them what Christ taught. But before you can teach someone what Christ taught, you must yourself know what Christ taught. And it's not just academic we're supposed to teach not only the things Jesus taught, but teach them to obey the things that Jesus taught. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And it involves baptizing. Which shows that there's an official side of this process of them becoming disciples. There's not just a spiritual side and an intellectual side, but a, an official side. Baptism, of course, is the in, baptism into the name of the Trinity is the act of being incorporated into the kingdom of Christ and into his church. So there is the proclamation of the gospel 
and the leading of a person to Christ. There's baptizing them into Christ and into his church. There's teaching them what Christ commanded. There's training them to do what Christ commanded. And this is to be done to people from every people group on the face of the earth. This command is clearly too big a task for just the apostles. And it's a bigger job than any one group or any one church or even one generation can do. It's a project which requires the efforts of all. There's a role for every individual Christian, for every church, for every generation. It is one of those ways where we see that we are a small part of a much bigger reality. United with believers all over the world and all through the ages working on one project together. You know the story of Nehemiah is a beautiful story because it has you know they're rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem and each little group is assigned a portion of the wall and they are to work hard at their portion and it's it's like that except of course it's much greater because it's through generations and throughout the whole world. But it's, that gives us a little taste that we each have a part. Now if one group said, ah, oh, this is overwhelming, we can't, we can't, this is too big a job, and they don't work on their little part, then there's a gap in the wall, and it's not built, and it can't be secure. So it's like Ephesians 4, 6 says, it's, involves the proper functioning of each individual part. That's how the project gets done. And now the last section of the Great Commission, the one that we often don't even think of as part of the Great Commission, the last part of verse 20, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is such an important part of the Great Commission. You know the verse right before the Great Commission, verse 17, is one of the least known verses in all the Gospels. It says, when they saw him, they worshipped him. You know, he's his resurrected form. But some doubted. So here the apostles, they've been through so much, and they've even seen him raised from the dead. Some of them still aren't there yet. They're still not so sure about this. Even as Jesus is on the precipice of ascending to heaven, these guys are far from being the movers and the shakers with the ability to change the world. Up to this point, they've been more failures than they have been succeeders. How in the world are these guys, these doubters, and I include us in that, ever going to accomplish the monumental task Jesus is assigning to them in the Great Commission. Well, that question is answered by this final statement of Jesus, I am with you always. And the fact that we are included in this is made clear by the last part of what he said. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Well, the, the apostles we're going to live to the end of the age. We're the ones that need him now as we're living through this age. This is for all of us. 
And this isn't a, just a general promise, you know, that God is going to be with his people through this period of time. It's specifically focused on his presence with them as they work to fulfill the Great Commission. He is with us as we do this thing that he's assigning us here. That's the only way it's going to happen, is if he's with us. If he's the one really doing it, he is, after all, the one who says he's going to build his church. In Matthew 16, 18. Now, how did he plan to build his church? Well, first, by his life here on earth, by entering into human flesh, by proclaiming the good news, by doing mighty miracles, by calling disciples to train, then by dying for our sin and being raised from the dead. But then the third step, so important, by pouring out his spirit upon his people to move them to carry on his mission. This last step, this last stage of his work is so important. It's the present stage of the project that we're in. What Jesus began when he was in his flesh here on earth, he is carrying out now through his people, through his church, through his body. You probably have noticed before or heard in preacher, preaching before, at the very beginning of the book of Acts, you know, Luke wrote Luke, the gospel, and then he wrote the Acts of the Apostles. And at the beginning of Acts, he says this, in the first book, O Theophilus, he wrote both books to Theophilus, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So it doesn't say, in my first book of Luke, I told you all that Jesus did and all that he taught all that he began to do and teach. The point is now I'm going to tell you more of the story of what Jesus did and what he taught through his people. So he's still at work. He's just at work through us. It's not merely that Jesus did something. He started something. He did it himself for a while and then he did it through his apostles and now he's doing it through us that was the plan all along that's why he said I am the light of the world but he also said you are the light of the world and in John 14 12 he said whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. In other words, I'm going to the Father, and from there I can pour out my Spirit, and by the power of the Spirit, they can do even greater things, because I'm limited. I'm only one place at one time. But they're all over the world. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, about two weeks after Jesus gave the Great Commission. The coming of the Spirit is primarily what Jesus had in mind when he promised to be present with them even to the end of the age. He was to be with them through his spirit. A few days after the Great Commission was given, in the final moments of his time with them, just before he ascended to heaven, 
he told them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the uttermost part of the earth. That's Acts 1.8. You see, the ministry of gospel proclamation and church building is always, from the very beginning, done by the power of the Spirit. God doesn't just empower us to enjoy his salvation. He empowers us to spread his salvation. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-control, 2 Timothy 1.7. And listen to what happened in Acts chapter 4, 29-31, when the people of God prayed. They prayed, And now, Lord, grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. See, that's what's supposed to happen. Without Christ's presence and power through his spirit, this great commission is preposterous. Remember when Jesus said, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. What kind of a mission is that? That's not a plan for international success. That's suicide. Except that he says, I am with you. He uses weak tools to do his mighty work so that he gets the glory. That's why our job begins by realizing this is way beyond us. But also realizing that he wants to use us in spite of our weakness. And by praying for the Holy Spirit to help us and use us. And notice that there is actually a connection between the project that the Great Commission is talking about and the age. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is a project for this age and that's what this age, in a sense, is for. The gathering of disciples from every nation is tied to the end of the age. As Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, 14, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. This is not just a command. It's not just the job Jesus has assigned to every believer in every church. This is the redemption of the world. This is arguably the main purpose of this age, of this era that we have been put into to live. It is certainly the calling of every true church. In the book of Church Order, at the very beginning, tells us that the church has been erected in this world for the gathering and perfecting of his saints. All that is, 
is shorthand for the Great Commission. The gathering and perfecting of his saints. And that's what we're all about. And that's what every church should be about. That is our philosophy of ministry. That our calling, our vision. That is what God has assigned us to do in every church. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that the Christ who came is such a wonderful Savior that he not only heals us and gives us life, but he heals the world and gives the world life. And dear Lord, during these hard days when the struggle is intense and the wounds are real, please help us, dear Lord, to remember what this battle's all about. That Christ might be made known in this world, that we might learn and grow in him that we might be perfected in and become more like him and that we might be used by you to communicate this precious treasure to those who do not know him and to those who do know him but need to be built up more in him. Oh Lord, help us not to just be thinking about our earthly comforts and our earthly conveniences. Help us, dear Lord, to have a vision in everything we do for the salvation of the people around us from our spouses and our family members to our neighbors to our friends, to our relatives, to our work associates, to our community, and to the whole world. We pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.